if what I tell you today is a complete shock to you, then I want you to respond by this. Okay, let's see how this goes, because these are, these are the 80 percenters. I call them the 80 percenters, and let's see how we do. 80% um, of Americans live paycheck to paycheck. Okay. 80% of Americans have social media profiles. Okay. How about this one? 80% of Americans will experience back pain at some point in their lives. I knew I'd get a rise out of that one. By the way, the American Chiropractic Association is where I did, I got the statistics for that one. 80% of Americans are afraid that political divisions and arguing will lead to more violence. This is interesting. 80% of Americans dislike political correctness. Both sides, it turns out, dislike political correctness. Okay, how about this one? 80% of Americans are not getting enough exercise. <laughs> That's shocking. How about this? This is my last one. 80% of Americans say that they pray. 80% say that they pray. And I would guess that that percentage is going to be a little bit higher at the Super Bowl this afternoon if there's a last minute... <laughs> Field goal, it's going to go above 80%. And here's something else. On any given Sunday, 2 billion Christians around the world pray the Lord's Prayer together. 2 billion. Pray the prayer that we just got through praying together out loud. I think that's kind of neat, kind of special. The Lord's Prayer is something that we have at times, I think, maybe treated like it's just a little bit routine, a little bit of a ritual, something that we have done so many times we can do it with our eyes closed, no pun intended, but something that just kind of happens automatically and maybe something that we take for granted a little bit and, and just have it on one of those little checklists. It's like, okay, I came to worship, check. I read my Bible, check. I did my devotional, read the upper room, check. I gave some money to help the poor, check. I said the Lord's Prayer, check. As if the Lord wanted to just give us something else to do. But the thing about the Lord's Prayer is not as much about what to do. It's not as much about what to pray as it is about how to pray. And what we're going to do over the next few weeks is, is to look at this pattern that Jesus gave us when he said, pray then this way. This is how I want you to pray with this pattern. And, and by the way, he, he teaches us how not to pray before he teaches us how to pray. We're going to read uh, Matthew chapter 6, starting with verse 5 and then going through 13. Starting in verse 5, Jesus teaches us how not to pray. He says, And whenever you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and in the street corners so that they can be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward. But whenever you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. When you are praying, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, 
For they think that they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. And then picking up in verse 9, pray then this way. Our Father in heaven, how would be your name? Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And do not bring us to the time of trial, but rescue us from the evil one. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. So how not to pray. Sometimes that's just as important as how to do something, as how not to do something. Jesus said, don't be like the hypocrites, because they just pray for show. Hypocrite is such a cool word. It's a theater term, and, and it, it goes back to the time when actors had to play multiple parts uh, in a certain play. And because they had to play multiple parts, they would, instead of changing out, they would just put a different mask on. A lot of times you'll see theater departments or any, anything to do with the theater that have those, those masks. That one's smiling and one's frowning. So they would put a different mask on. And the point being is, is what, the, what was really going on was behind the mask, right? The real person was behind the mask. What the audience was seeing was what was in front of the mask. But what was really going on was behind the mask. And, and, and Jesus said, don't just pray for show. Don't just pray so everybody will see what's going on and they'll think what a cool person you are. Because God wants to know the real you and not the one that puts on the mask. Not the religious sounding you. Not the you that's around when you see the preacher coming so you kind of straighten up. Y'all know what I'm talking about. Oh, here comes the preacher. Better not tell that joke. But God wants to know the real you when you go and pray. Not the religious you. Not, and the other thing, not to pray, not to, here's how not to pray, Jesus said in verse 7, is don't pray with just a bunch of empty words. Well, first of all, not with just a bunch of words. Because I don't know if you've ever heard anybody that prayed in public, but they prayed for so long. They prayed for so long that you thought maybe they're out of practice and they're trying to make up for lost time. And you kind of, oh, wait, I think I kind of blanked out there for a second. Has he said amen yet? Don't be pointing up here at me. But empty words, that's a lot of words, okay? Empty words are words that you just really don't mean. Let me just ask you a personal question. Has anybody ever come to you and said, I'm sorry, but you knew even as they were saying it that they really didn't mean it, that the words were empty? If we can recognize that, don't you think God can too? Jesus said, don't give a bunch of empty words. Instead, real prayer is two things. It's communing with and communicating with our Heavenly Father. Communing with, that's, that's just kind of keeping company with. You don't even really have to be saying anything, just keeping company with. And then communicating means talking and listening. Communing with, communicating with a God who loves us. So don't just pray like the hypocrites just for show and don't use a bunch of empty words. And then we don't pray, the third way not to pray, don't pray just thinking, okay, I'm just here to let God know what I need. Here's my shopping list, God. 
In verse 8, Jesus says something amazing. He says, your father already knows what you need. He already knows it. So if, if real prayer is communing with, communicating with God, we know that part of that prayer is, is bringing our needs before God on an ongoing basis. That's what our petitions are. Last week we talked about Philippians 4, 6, how instead of worrying and being anxious over everything, we bring our needs to God and we do so with thanksgiving. So part of our needs is, is bringing our petitions. Part of them is bringing our supplications. That's when we pray for somebody else, somebody we love. We bring their needs before God. It's all of that. But bringing our needs before God, thanking God, bringing the needs of others before God is not to inform God of something that God doesn't already know. Because God knows what we need. Sometimes we're asking for what we want instead of what we need, right? But God knows what we need. So if God already knows what we need, then why do we pray? Well, we pray because the one we're trying to follow, Jesus, prayed a lot. He prayed so much, in fact, that his disciples said, Hey, Jesus, teach us to pray. And Jesus thought so much of prayer, and he wanted to guide his followers so much that he said these words, when you pray. Notice he didn't say, if you pray. He said, when you pray, pray like this. And then he gave them a pattern for doing it. So this pattern of prayer, the Lord's Prayer, is so important. We're going to be spending the whole month of February on it. And, and so today, we're just going to look at the first three phrases. Um, the first two words that make up the first phrase, um, our Father, our Father. These two words are so powerful, it's like a one-two punch when we start praying to begin with. First, our. Don't skip over the little three-letter word, our. Uh, Jesus almost got thrown off the side of a cliff because that word is so powerful. What happened was in his first sermon in his hometown of Nazareth, Jesus was reading um, from the prophet Isaiah, he had the scroll open, he was reading from the prophet Isaiah, the spirit of the Lord is upon me, he's anointed me to preach good news to the poor, and he went on and finished that reading. He closed the scroll, and then he said, these words have been fulfilled in your hearing today, and his hearers were, what do you mean? We know, we know you, we know your mama and them, we know your sisters, we do, this is Jesus, we know him. How can he say that? And then Jesus went on to tell the story uh, about Elijah and the widow of Zarephath, where Elijah went to a foreign country, to a Gentile widow, and helped her through the famine. And about Elisha, who went to Naaman, the leper went to a foreign person, a Syrian, Naaman, and healed him of leprosy. And they were squirming because at this point they were kind of uncomfortable at what Jesus was getting at. Because they were pretty comfortable with God being their God. Our God. Us here. Not them. Us. And now Jesus is saying, our Heavenly Father. Not my Heavenly Father. They were very comfortable with excluding other people and now Jesus is saying God loves all his children and they were not okay with that they were so not okay with that 
that they were about to throw Jesus off the side of a cliff. And Jesus walked through their midst unharmed. So our is very, very powerful. Uh, every time we draw a line in the sand, in the sand to exclude somebody else, then Jesus steps across that line. Because God loves all of his children. Now, Father is very important too because sometimes we forget, I think, that we're praying to our Heavenly Father who loves us very, very much. Father is a difficult word for some people to, to get their head around when they're praying because of the baggage that they have with their own earthly fathers. We know that as earthly fathers, we have our hang-ups and we have our faults and we have our failings. Some people don't even have a relationship at all with their earthly father. Some are, uh, the father was absent or maybe abusive. Uh, I have a friend that her father was just angry and violent all the time. And even though he said that he loved her, he never showed it. He was very harsh at her, very critical at her. And later on in life, when she became a Christian, she was confused. Uh, every time she would try to think about God as being father, it, it, the relationship with her earthly father kept getting in the way and she was struggling. And she had a friend that came to her and said, you know, uh, you know that God is your heavenly mother too, don't you? If males and females were both created in the image of God, then God is, has to be your heavenly father and your mother too. And she said that was what allowed her to get over the hump so she could mature spiritually and see that where human parents blow it and where human parents have faults and limitations, God has no limitations. And God has no failings because God loves us perfectly. God loves us perfectly. He is the father that you see in, in Luke chapter 15 who loved his, his sons, both the elder son who stayed at home and the prodigal son who went off and was in the pig pen. He's the one who loved them with open arms and said to the elder brother, don't you know, don't you know that I'm always with you and that everything I have is yours? Don't you know that? And he's the one who loved the prodigal son with open arms even though he must have smelled awful after living in the pig pen he opened his arms and he welcomed him that's the heavenly father we have who is waiting to hear from us waiting to hear from us our father second phrase in heaven now I have a feeling that we may need to straighten our thinking out over this phrase in heaven because some of us grew up singing that little song. Um, do Lord, oh do Lord, oh do remember me. Did y'all sing that song? Way beyond the blue. So as a kid growing up, I thought about, okay, I'm here. And God is way beyond the blue. Somewhere above whatever that blue sky is up there. But I'm down here. But God is way up there. So saying our Father in heaven is, is not saying, okay, I'm down here and God is up there. Now God is transcendent. God is beyond whatever our human brains can imagine. I know that. But God is also imminent, which means that God is closer to me than the breath that's in my lungs. God is is. As the Apostle Paul says in Acts 17, 28, uh, in him we live and move and have our being. 
To say where is God for me would be like a fish swimming in the sea saying, I wonder where I could get a drink of water around here. There's nowhere you can go that God is not. Uh, the psalmist David said in one, one Psalm 139, where could I go from your spirit? Where could I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and settle at the farthest limits of the sea, even there your hand will lead me and your right hand will hold me fast. There's nowhere I could even run away from God that he wouldn't already be there. So our Father in heaven is it's about community prayer. It's, it's about God being beyond our imagination. But it's a God who is also imminent. His heavenly presence is with us. One good way to think about this is to think our Father in whose presence is heaven. In whose presence is heaven. Hallowed be your name is the third phrase. Hallowed be. The word hallowed means holy. Uh, it means holy. Hallowed be, when you put those two words together, it means I want to make something holy. I want to revere something in that way. Hallowed be your name, God's name, not our name. God is all wise, all holy, all good, not us. And the name in the biblical sense is different from <clears throat> what we used to talk about in the 70s when we had CB radios. Now don't look at me like you don't know what that is. We all had handles, right? We had handles. And it's just the name that you wanted to be called when you were talking on. Well, if you don't know, go back and watch Smokey and the Bandit, and it'll refresh your memory. Okay? So, it's not just the handle, but the name in the biblical sense is someone's reputation, their character, their very being. So, hallowed be your name is like saying this. God, we want to remember that you are holy and to revere your holiness. And this is so important to us that we don't want to live in any way. We don't want to do anything, say anything that would cause your character and your reputation to be tarnished in any way. The opposite of that would be for someone, the opposite sometimes helps you understand what it is. So the opposite would be to take God's name in vain. To, to live in some way, to behave in some way that would make somebody say, if that's what God is all about, then I'd rather be an atheist. That's the opposite of hallowed be your name. But to hallow God's name is to be living proof of a loving God so that someone looks at us and they want to come to that Father who is waiting with open arms for them. They want to see that in us, to be living proof of a loving God with a Father who's waiting to commune, to have communion with and communication with others is what we experience when we pray. It's what we experience when we worship because Jesus said, where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am in their midst. And it is what we experience when we come together at the Lord's table. Communion. Let's pray.